This Watch Out for Fireballs episode is brought to you by Evan Noggle. Yeah. Thanks, Evan. Thank you. You uh, you, you, you totally donated to our uh, Patreon, uh, ca- you know, campaign. Yeah. That I can't um, say. It's an ongoing, it's an ongoing campaign. <laughs> we appreciate it. Uh, so if anybody else wants to be as cool as Evan, go to, and again, sound, saying cool and sounding sarcastic. Evan is cool. That wasn't <laughs> supposed to be sarcastic. To, the uh, Evan is great. To be as kind and generous as Evan is. Yes, there. That's a better way to put it. Go to uh, patreon.com forward slash duckfeed TV. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And this is a very special Watch Out for Fireballs episode where we are talking about Alpha Protocol. And we're talking about your responses and our responses, (laughs) but most importantly, the responses of Mr. Chris Avalone. Yes. One of the uh, one of the key people on the team for this game. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have not recorded that yet, but <laughs> we're recording the intro to it now. So I hope it goes well in the future and let's all find out together <laughs> right now. And afterwards, there will be your responses and go. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. I'm Ben Merkel. And I'm Chris Avalon. And this is a very special Watch Out for Fireballs episode <laughs> where we are talking to uh, Chris Avalone, who had a direct hand in Alpha Protocol. Yeah, welcome hey, back. Chris. Oh, well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And I, I know people listening do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just, so just, uh, you know, we just got done uh, kind of taking this this game, you know, step by step and everything. And it's really, uh, you know, a great opportunity for us to get a chance to ask you some questions. Um, could you uh, kind of clarify your role in this game in Alpha Protocol? Yeah, Alpha Protocol went through two stages of development, and it had a, uh, some staff changes uh, in the middle, like the last two years. Um, so I was part of the, uh, the some of the new people brought in for the second half of Alpha Protocol, and I was simultaneously lead designer and also the lead narrative designer on the game. And uh, our... Our product director, Chris Parker, he actually handled the system design, and then we had uh, another designer, Tyson Christensen, who handled the uh, who handled the, uh, the the lead level design for the game. And were there any particular areas that you uh, that you had more of a hand in, uh, narrative wise? Um, unfortunately, uh, Saudi Arabia, which was a lot of exposition and foreshadowing. <laughs> um, I did write almost all the characters except for uh, some section, some minor characters here and there, and also uh, except for Taipei. But generally, just about everything else, um, I did a lot of the dialogues for that. But I was assisted by another narrative designer here, uh, Travis Stout, who also worked with me on Fallout's Old World Blues. And, Tra- and Travis is a great writer. He uh, he helped a great deal. And there were also some legacy conversations that we had left over from the first iteration of the game that were done by uh, Brian Matsoda. And we thought a lot of those, uh, a number of those worked. So we ended up keeping those as well. Hmm. Can you, uh, by any chance, go into some of the process of how you write the characters? Because I know you do a lot of uh, D&D sort of writing. Um, do you guys ever role play any of these situations when you write these characters? Not in this case. We did do that for the Fallout pen and paper game that I uh, was one of the two games I was running back at Interplay when we were doing a Fallout 3 at Interplay. And we did a little bit of that for Neverwinter Nights 2 here at Obsidian. And uh, we, we have pen and paper games going all the time, like our, our recent D&D game that we were running on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, uh, 
Well, we used to run it before we ran to a deck of many things and it wiped out <laughs> half, half the party. As it does. That, oh man, that, we, well, the worst part, the worst part, of course, is like, you know, the cards go back in the deck and then we just, you know, the death was getting drawn a lot. And that's a hell of a combat, mostly because of the con drain. Like, you just can't beat him. Like, it's, it was awful. It was murderous. <laughs> yeah, literally. Anyway, so that was great. So we actually, we actually just recently started up a, a Pathfinder game where we're sort of actually a criminal espionage squad that's sent in to do these heists. So I feel like we're sort of like doing a fantasy version of Alpha Protocol right now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So it's- a, a, a criminal squad tasked with destroying every copy of the deck of many things <laughs> yes. in, the, in the game world. Oh my God, that would be the best. <laughs> Oh my god, that's a great idea. I should suggest it to GM. Oh my god, that's great. <laughs> Have you ever, there's, um, there used to be, I think it was Friday the 13th, there was a TV show where it was these kids inherited, uh, an antique shop from their uncle. Yep. Yeah, and then the, uh, you know, it was all these haunted objects. And they yep, had to go hunt them I, down. You know what? And I thought that show was going to be stupid. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I would never watch Friday the 13th, this show. I mean, that's ridiculous. And then I watched one episode and I'm like, oh. Well, each of these curio curiosities has their own gimmick about it. And then my game designer brain went off, and I'm like, oh, I love this show. And then I, yeah, I just kept watching. Actually, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. That was a really, uh, that was a really fun piece of TV. That would, that would be a great D&D campaign. Yeah, to be like a, like a artifact hunting, like what works kind of things. So almost like a, a way to structure a, a monster of the week, except it's artifact of the week, going out and destroying those things. Yeah, and I always I I thought a number of the powers that the the curiosities have were really really clever. I mean, I I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. So you know, kind of speaking to those D and D kind of cultural aspects, uh, can you talk a little bit about the culture around the development of this game? Because there are a lot of places that are kind of dead serious, um, and then there are other places where it's kind of clear and it comes through for the player that you're having a really <laughs> good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The um, I think. Even in the so so tone wise, Alpha Protocol kind of hits a lot of different uh, levels uh, in, in, in tone. Uh, I do think that for some of the crazier sections, um, which uh, usually ends up being anything that Nolan North is voicing, uh, he was he was doing the uh, insane uh, conspiracy theorist uh, Stephen Heck uh, in the game, and uh, Travis, uh, the other writer I mentioned, he. Uh, took a character concept that Brian Matsoda had had and then he just went nutballs with it. <laughs> and it was so much fun just to interact with that character. And especially when like Heck was fighting with you, like that was just great. You're like, I got Captain Crazy on my side now. But yeah, uh, Nolan North came in the studio. Uh, he had a blast voicing the character and Travis had a blast writing him. And I think it just turned out really, really well. Although the, with the overall context of the game, Stephen Heck, while a crazy character, I still think he was able to fit in with the overall tone of the game once you just accepted that he was just mentally unbalanced. Um, and you could have a good laugh about that, I suppose. But, uh, but overall, it's, overall the game was intended to be rather to go down through like the dark and serious road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's such a great play because all of, like his insanity is kind of justified in a sense because most of his conspiracies are correct. So, <laughs> yes. So yeah. I think I think that's specifically how he's successful for me. One of our listeners wrote in and uh, compared him to uh, to Dale Gribble from King of the Hill, except he's oh, right yeah. about everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did, did you come at that, uh, like a lot of the conspiracy stuff? Is that something that you, you know a lot about, or did you have to do any kind of research for that? 
Um, I don't know what might have been going through Travis's head. I do know that what we tried to do was and the, the, the very few bits of Stephen Heck that uh, I, I wrote, which are generally for the end game. I just made up everything that I could. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? Uh, Stephen Heck believes that there was – you know, three world wars and you just never heard about the third one. And then he, and then he just keeps going with it. And you're like, well, that, that could be crazy or that could be totally, completely true. I'm never quite sure with this guy, but mostly I'll be honest. I just made a lot of shit up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huh. So about the particular challenges of this one, you came to it a little bit late and in looking at the list of games you've been involved with, this is kind of the, the, the least fantastical of the settings. Right. You know, was that right. difficult? Like, tell me a little bit, a little bit about your approach to that kind of hopping on the team. Well, uh, I think it ended up being, uh, I ended up just doing a lot of research with the, uh, the born identity and then reading the books and then, um, trying to, uh, do the bond research as well, because the, the, obviously the two different franchises there feel a lot different. So I was a little bit worried about reconciling that, but I think I didn't really get a good handle on the character approaches until I started watching a lot of 24. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Like, okay, now I'm getting the urgency in these conversations now. And okay, well, I see like, you know, how this, you know, the Bauer approach here, okay, it's, it's helping fuel the level design. And I'm like, okay, well, then I think once I watched a shitload of 24, then I was able to come back to Alpha Protocol and go, you know what? I think I can probably pull this off. The the only issues I have is like, I like, like you said, I am not uh, as well versed in the espionage genre. And I also am probably the last person you want to talk to when it comes to, well, here's, you know, how to accurately portray, you know, a, you know, a particular type of gun or, or weapon. Or I'm also woefully inadequate at trying to figure out, you know, the intricacies of world politics. So I'll so I, was, I sort of came. To, I sort of came to the entire game with, well, okay. I, mean, I guess I'll have, to, I'll have to make them a little bit more of an abstract espionage game and try and have fun with that, which I think is still possible, and and hopefully people enjoyed it. But I, I really wish that I had more of a background to bring to the bring to the situation. To be honest, there were so many times where I thought it was just it was more like Kill Bill and more like um, that Clive Owen movie Shoot 'Em Up. Mm-hmm. Oh actual, yeah, yes. Yeah, so I, I just I was like eventually I was like you know what maybe I shouldn't try and put myself in a box of doing a real world highly intense realistic espionage game. Maybe we should just try and have a little bit more relaxed fun with it. Like it's okay to have bullet storms and slow down time, and make the targeted shots. It's just a whole bunch of crazy stuff. So it just felt more fun to do. I mean, and we were actually going to carry that theme more in Alpha Protocol Two. We're like you know what. Um, Rather than try and play, you know, lip service to, you know, quote unquote authentic espionage drama, mm-hmm. why don't we just go off the rails and have a lot of fun with consp- conspiracy theories and secret agents and double agents and triple agents and just go crazy with it? And uh, that was that was kind of our hope. And yeah, you got a little bit of that in Alpha Protocol One, but Alpha Protocol Two is going to be uh, much crazier, Spe- specifically with Z, definitely. Yeah, I think between Z and Heck and then uh, how crazy G22 could have been and then all sorts of God knows how many other Alpha Protocol agencies and sleeper agents. And uh, yeah, we were just going to have a lot of fun with it. Who came up with the name Z, by the way? Oh, that was Brian, Brian Matsuda. Okay, because I just like the fact that it's she in German. Yep. But, <laughs> but capitalized. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't forget it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, so how long did it take you to come up with the three different classes that you could play as, as far as the, the Born Bond uh, Bauer? 
say. Well, actually, a lot of the dialogue system was designed uh, by uh, by Brian Matsoda and Dan Spitzley. Um, I couldn't give you the the rational decisions that led up to those different attitudes. I think they they worked well. Um, the only the only thing I'd, I'd actually been concerned about was I wasn't sure if the time to dialogue choices would work very well. That was the only thing I was kind of afraid of would be really really hated if the game came out but it seemed like a good experience a good experiment to try and then after watching all those episodes of 24 i got why that was important to to have the player like always on their toes even in conversations to sort of sort of drive home that urgency and i think that creating that 24 kind of feel with a dialogue system like that actually worked really well and actually when we were having the focus testing for the game and people were getting like wired up to these brain sensors which is totally crazy um we should have put that in alphabetical too uh any but uh but what they what they reported was people were actually getting an adrenaline spike that was that was the equivalent of being in a shootout in the game while in a conversation that's something that the testing agency had never seen before in a game and so well like you know what well this is kind of an interesting you know take on it why don't we just see if this will work and Alpha Protocol just sort of provided an avenue for that test, so we were we were pretty happy with that. Yeah, a lot of the dialogue challenges in that feel like boss fights, so it's kind of awesome to hear you draw that equivalent. Yes, like scientifically proven by scans. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, you, you mentioned uh, like a little bit ago, G twenty two. It kind of felt um, when playing the game when we revisited it that there was a little bit more going on with them than than we ultimately ended up seeing. Um, was it, were there any con- uh, content related to that that was cut from the game? Uh, no, actually, we were setting them up for a bigger role in the second game, and because we, I'll be honest, like we when we had the the look designed for G twenty two, and then the you know with Albatross and Sis like working behind the scenes, it all felt like there was much more that we could develop there because it seemed like such a rich organization that we actually just wanted to set it up for the second game. So are there going to be more permutations in the second game than in the first game of how many different games you can have in that? Yes. Well, I mean, not, not so much the mini games because I think the mini games were kind of hit or miss, unfortunately. Uh, I do think that the way we were going to approach missions in the second game was going to be a lot different. And actually our system designer, uh, Matt McLean, who was actually the, uh, the lead designer on South Park Stick of Truth, he, uh, had suggested a mission structure for AP1 that we didn't have time to implement. And his, his whole idea with that was, Put a character in a location, give him like one overarching goal, like, you know, take out, you know, the terrorist leader or whatever. That's a really bad example, but he gives a player a big goal. And then there's like a series of five or six satellite missions that you can tackle in any order or you don't have to do them at all. And each of them might cater to a different skill. So you could choose to sort of like circle your way around the main objective by doing all these little sub quests and causing reactivity amongst them all or you could actually just go after the big target right from the get-go and then you would have a lot of reactivity in between the submissions and also that final mission as well but it sort of gave players a chance for like hey well if i'm playing a diplomat character and i need to go interrogate someone or get intel out of somebody i can review my mission log and maybe take the two out of the six satellite missions to help influence my success in the big target mission and i think that would have been a little bit more fun and free form for the players to experience it's kind of like we'd have the hub structure but there'd be another hub inside of it, which I think would be a lot of fun for people to, to tackle. 
my mind is just kind of boggling at the at just kind of the matrix of possibilities you'd have to keep track of because yeah, like right well, now it's already pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think though that uh, we already had to do that for the first game, and uh, I think that we could have done a lot better. Uh, the, my only regret with that is I'd, I'd want to try and make sure that the system for AP two was less special casey. If that makes sense, I, mm-hmm. I guess. It, overall, AP1 felt like a big choose-your-own-adventure to me, which is a little bit disappointing. Um, I would have liked to have found more systems and more ways to cause sort of more, more fluid reactivity amongst the missions because I think overall doing all that special case work was just kind of a big drain on the team. And I, to be honest, I don't even know how Bioware gets away with it. They must have a huge like animatics department and cinematics team to handle all that stuff. Cause that, they, they, all of a sudden, they did for Mass Effect was fantastic, but I can't even imagine how many people that took to do yeah, so uh, the and so you, you mentioned a couple times things that uh, would be in Alpha Protocol two, and the the tenses have, have. Do I do you know something that I don't know about there being an Alpha Protocol two <laughs> that's actually going to happen? Like I knew that there were plans for it, and then it, it fell apart, and then a couple times you said, yeah, there, there's something that you know we're we are thinking about. Yeah. yeah, the oh sorry. So uh AP2 to my knowledge is not a possibility. Uh Sega specific uh, Sega owns the rights and Sega specifically said that they would not do a sequel to that game. Um however, a lot of the systems and some of the uh sort of like you know, I, I asynchronous multiplayer, I guess is how they phrase it, were basically uh well, a lot, of, a lot of the design elements for that I could see being ported over to other titles. Like, for example, what I was saying about the mission structure, that's not something that you need an Alpha Protocol game to pull off. It's just something that you can actually introduce in another title, whether it's a fantasy game or a sci-fi game or whatever. It just ends up uh, playing around with a hub within a hub idea and then seeing how well we can make that that work so yeah. and then let me say like asynchronous multiplayer like our one of our ideas for the second for the for the alpha protocol sequel was we would actually allow players to share intelligence on certain parts of the world and certain missions they could lie to each other to set each other up <laughs> but for good reasons or bad reasons and we thought that might be fun to do but then again like you don't need an alpha protocol game to do that so i think some of the systems that we were brainstorming for that, I think, are ones that we could carry into other games that felt appropriate. And so we never really completely shelved everything about AP2, no. So you've done a lot of different genres thus far. Are there any genres you guys still have on a to-do list? or? Wow. Uh, so I think I would always like to try a little bit more of a hardcore uh, science fiction title. I mean, Fallout comes close, but it doesn't quite really hit the science fiction quality that I'm used to a lot of the, the books it's I read. It's not in space. Expa- <laughs> basically. Even though I, th- even though I think uh, Fallout 2 and the future Fallouts before uh, the, it went over to Bethesda, actually, the plan was to take the player eventually into space. We just never really got there. So, uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, sci-fi is something that I very much like to try. Mm-hmm. So like, like like hard sci-fi, like Ray Bra- uh, Ray Bradbury kind of stuff. Uh, Ray Bradbury. Also, uh, there is a science fiction author called uh, Ian Banks who I enjoy very much. He does this whole series of books called The Culture, and it's kind of it's it's kind of an interesting take on sci-fi adventure in a universe where he's able to incorporate a whole different spectrum of stories and characters, but yet it all feels so well integrated that I would like to try and figure out 
like a space campaign setting that would sort of allow for the same sort of thing. And I, he's one of my, he's one of my inspirations. So doing something along those lines would be cool. You know, to be honest, I'd love to do a Doctor Who game. I think that would be a huge blast. Um, and I, and then there's like comedy games that I think would be fun to do. Like I think doing, you know, the 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 joke was Archer Protocol, but like you know, after 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 doing after doing like South Park, the Stick of Truth, like we're like, you know what, we could probably do a pretty good, damn good Archer game and have a blast doing that. And we could certainly prove to them that we can do a 2D franchise game and it wouldn't be a big deal. But uh, yeah, no, but that would be, I think that would be fun to do. So yeah, there's a, there's a whole spot, a whole bunch of different. Um, uh, franchises I'd like to tackle, but you know, sci-fi is definitely up there. Is one thing I think I think would be interesting to try. Hmm. So I know you do D and D a lot. Do you ever do any other tabletop games to inform like your game design? Yeah, there's a few. Uh, actually, we were playing a lot of the um, the Pathfinder card game, uh, both in and out of work. Uh, we obviously also play Pathfinder uh, in addition to D&D. I think there's an Ars Magica game going on at work as well, and we actually have an entire mailing list at work devoted solely to board games and we have a huge room just stacked with board games that uh, uh, the owners purchased and put in there so anytime people actually want to play it uh, they're welcome to and actually we, we play a lot of our games in the old motion capture studio where we did a lot of the work for alpha protocol so that's kind of like uh, interesting it just sort of it sort of came full circle like that that's cool um, so so does that inform your game design at all just come just concepts from those different board games that you play um I, I probably can't point to one specific board game. I do know that when we were doing the Fallout pen and paper back at Interplay, that definitely uh, changed the level design. It changed the major NPCs. Uh, it even affected things like uh, inventory item design in terms of, hey, you know, when we're playing the tabletop game, like what what are the inventory items that people are gravitating towards? Why do they find them cool? What's the weapon balance? Like, how are how are ghouls and super mutants working as character races? Are they overpowered? Like, uh, does uh, you know is is the location where we have like you know Boulder, Colorado is was that compelling for the players to actually explore and visit? Like, was the science dome pretty cool? Like, did they enjoy certain parts of that, but were they bored by something else? And so and and again like to be like uh like for example with a boulder dome example we actually used that as a template for the main uh hub in old world blue so we actually took some of the elements from that pen and paper game and incorporated that into the new vegas dlc so that was a lot of fun but mostly what you do is uh i was as a gm i, I would spec out a lot of these locations do a lot of inventory item design set up the mechanics and then i would let you know, the five or six players roll in there and see what they gravitate towards, what ideas they had, or what they would sometimes do is they'd start speculating about the location. Like if you, th- if you throw a bunch of questions to the player, like, hey, here's something mysterious over here, and then they would say something that was more interesting than what you designed <laughs> – <laughs> then I'd be like, then I would be, then I would make a note of it. I'm like, oh man, you know, for the game, for the video game, we should do that, even though I haven't designed it out that way, because that's ten times better. <laughs> yeah, so like we uh, we were having a lot of fun with that too. But yeah, and I also it helped because. Um, with the Fallout pen and paper game, we were actually able to train the development team as to what that world was like before they had to work on it. So, like for example, we had one of our uh, level designers uh, playing through the the Boulder area for uh, you know for Fallout for the Van, Van Buren project, which is what Fallout Three was called in Interplay, and. Because he was actually able to explore every level of the Boulder Dome as his character, 
when it came time for him to actually build out that location, he doesn't really need his expansive design document to explain what that location is all about because he experienced it. He interacted with it, even just a pen and paper format. And I think that actually helped uh, the players get a sense for the world they would be building once we actually started production on that title. So that was kind of like the the, the first time I got to experiment with that, and I think it, it actually worked really well. Hmm. Definitely. The, the, so kind of bringing it just the, um, back to, to Alpha Protocol a little bit. So Alpha Protocol, you know, as much as we, we all really love the game, um, it definitely had a real mixed reception, though, uh, some of some of which is, is criminal. And, and I'm on the record now is, uh, you know, kind of flipping out about, about some of these uh, reviews going back and, and preparing for the episode. Um, you know, are, is that something that do you uh, are you familiar with that kind of thing? Do you read read reviews and the like? And, and oh, do you think- yeah. That oh, reception, yeah. you know, what do you what do you think of that reception? And is there anything that you would change, kind of in retrospect? Um, so it, it did it did have a mixed reception. Uh, I do think it was deserved uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, even though I th- I'm I'm proud of the narrative arc and I'm really proud of the dialogue mechanics the guys had designed, um, and I'm glad we took that we made that experiment. I do think. Uh, Specifically, I think the game was was held too long, um, but even that wouldn't have changed some of the fundamental problems it had. For example, like I, I think that even though we had our you know cinematic conversations that we're very proud of, we certainly can't compete with Mass Effect Two. Like Mass Effect Two is an absolutely gorgeous game, and it came out before Alpha Protocol. So, you know, even if the cinematic sequences may not have been as as, as strong um, as if we'd had more resources, I think it also suffered in comparison to like you know having a game you know come out earlier that does it at even higher quality. Also, it's it's really hard to say that when you put Splinter Cell. And Alpha Protocol side by side, that Alpha Protocol stealth mechanics, for example, even measure up to Splinter Cell because, you know, they, God knows they've been doing it for so many iterations. They've got it down to a science while we're doing it for the first time out the gate. So in, in comparison, I think the comparison makes it suffer. But even so, I think that all the systems that went into the game's development, I think that they weren't quite as polished as they could be. And also they suffered from one one pipeline problem which we've us we've we've worked to correct in all our future titles and we didn't really have a choice in this pipeline um initially i think uh, it, there was a lot of factors bleeding into the early pre-production development for alpha protocol that caused a lot of problems but i think the biggest problem was people were building levels before the character's movement set and the character's sort of action ability system was designed. Mm. So basically you're making all these stages and backdrops for actions to occur, but you're not exactly sure what the mini games are going to be. You're not sure how fast Michael Thornton can move. You're not sure what his run powers are going to be, what his weapon powers are going to be, or even if you haven't even actually like uh, tailored all the cover mechanics or the weapon design for how he's going to fight various opponents. And it's, I, I, I try and use a really simple example for this, but if you were doing a Super Mario game, and you were building levels for for Super Mario, but you weren't exactly sure how far Super Mario could Mario could jump. 
right. then you are going to be wasting a lot of work trying to iterate on those levels as the system mechanics change. So generally what we try and do is from now on is we just make sure that all the systems feel good, like running feels good, cover feels good. You gray box all that stuff out in a test environment. You make sure that like hand-to-hand combat with enemies feels good. You know how that's going to play out. And then once you have those systems to a really good polished state, like, you know, i.e., you know, Mario's jumping feels really good. It feels doing that moment to moment system gameplay is just a lot of fun. Once you actually have all that stuff nailed down, then you see about blocking out levels and then seeing how it feels to move through that environment. But you want to make sure that your systems um, are, are, are nailed down first before you start doing a lot of production in other areas. And it's totally worthwhile to hold off on building those levels and just focus on the systems, even if it might mean people are like twiddling their thumbs for a while because, you know, it's, it's better that than wasted work. So you build the world to the characters as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, and the way the the hierarchy that um, I prefer to do is you start with the moment to moment gameplay, like Mario jumping or Michael Thornton running or Michael Thornton shooting or you know whatever that moment to moment gameplay mechanic is. You want to make sure that feels smooth and good to the player because that's what they could be doing every second of the game like that that sort of trumps almost any other action the player will take then once you have that down and just movement and running and all the actions feel fun and good then you start building the environment around the character and going okay well now that i know how far you know the jumping's going to be for mario or how far you know thornton's pistols can shoot and what their accuracy is now i'm going to start laying out combat arenas and flows through levels that actually complement those abilities and you know sort of like allows the player to sort of vary those up or looks for new you know ways to tackle combat arenas by sneaking or stealth or whatever um and then um and i, I might be, might be shoot, shooting myself in the foot by saying this but i think at the end of that that's when the narrative design comes in and goes okay well now that we've got these we've got the character and his movement set and we've got ideas for combat arenas and backgrounds then what you want to do is wrap a story around those elements and make it cohesive and make it all make sense. And that's kind of a narrative designer's job to support the moment-to-moment gameplay, to support the setup of these combat arenas as long as that level design pacing feels good. And I think that's that's actually not too hard to do as long as you're willing to sort of relax control on it and just sort of let the level designers and system designers breathe. Like when we're doing... Um, I keep saying old world blues a lot, but in that old world's blues, like all we did was like, okay, we know the character's movement set, no problem. Uh, we are going to give the level designers complete freedom to design however the levels ever they want. The only things we need are you need to go to, you know, X number of locations, retrieve Y items. We don't even care what the items are or where those locations are. That's all we need for the story. Just go have fun building your levels with that context in mind. And then the stuff that we got back was amazing. Just because I think people just had room to breathe. And then we just made a narrative reason for why all these levels existed. And that was just the, you know, the think tank scientists were just completely batshit crazy. And, and once, and once you accepted that and they were all basically like Stephen Heck, suddenly the world just felt a lot more fun to explore and we all had a blast doing it. So at what point in that process do you develop like the upgrade system then? Uh, the upgrade system for the weapons? Yeah, so for like Alpha Protocol, yeah, whether to develop like stealth or weapons, like how do how does that come in? Yeah, the I, I guess. Process? Yeah, maybe to I don't know if I'm if I'm picking up on, on what you mean, but one of the things we picked up on in the episode was that um, it definitely felt like depending on what approach you want to take, that um, the levels, you know, what you're saying that the levels and moment to moment gameplay didn't lend itself to it, but you could compensate through 
through kind of character build in a lot of ways. So there would be, um, you know, the, the shooting would feel would, you know, initially would be, uh, kind of underpowered. And then if you put points into it and got leveled up enough, it would kind of compensate for that. So was that, uh, intentional kind of, um, assuaging that, uh, that, uh, that disparity between the two things or, um, I think that was some of the, the, the balancing discussions the system designers had, I, I guess, one issue with the shooting was we never hmm, – how do I put this? Um, what you see your character doing on the screen uh, should match your expectations. And what I mean by that is it's very dangerous to have a shooter-style game like Alpha Protocol where if you put the cursor over someone and you press the fire button – if you miss for some reason, like for some invisible die roll off screen, that to me feels like it's violating player expectations considering what the controller scheme is and how you're moving the cursor. And I think that the idea of sort of introducing that behind the scenes random chance or dice roll, which doesn't match what you're seeing your character do on the screen, created a lot of problems and it's not kind of our – um, it's not kind of our philosophy here at the studio, but we were, we were asked to do that for the, uh, the weapon design. And I don't know if that worked out quite as well as we'd hoped because we'd actually seen on, um, I think it was, uh, Vampire, uh, Bloodlines. Was it Bloodlines? Or was it Vampire of the Masquerade? Sorry. Yeah, both. Um, it's both. <laughs> okay. Well, though, I mean, the, but they had, they had the system where like you would, you, you know, you would shoot a certain character, but there would be a, you know, the die roll behind the screen, the scenes where, okay, now, I, I missed, but I don't really completely understand why, because what I saw on the screen would tell me that I would have hit. So now I have this like disconnect between what the interface and systems are doing for me versus what I'm actually seeing take place on the screen. So I don't know. It's a, it ended up being kind of a confusing situation. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, well, I think um, we're, we've more or less uh, kind of covered what we were looking to cover. Um just kind of in, in closing, um, you know, what, uh, what, what are you playing now? What, what's, what's good, Chris? Well, uh, I had not had a chance to play Thomas Was Alone, and I don't know if you guys have heard of this game. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. Uh, <laughs> I have so much empathy for these tiny little colored blocks that hop all over the landscape, and I'm like, wow, there's like a really touching narrative here, and with just the right word choice and pacing, I'm actually – seeing what these little blocks have in terms of like their characters and emotions and i it's it's moving me forward in a way that i don't i don't think i would have felt had the narrator and story not been there like i I would have taken it for granted as just you know you know like it's a it's a puzzle platform or okay whatever but then once the storylines introduced i think the execution for it is just amazing i'm really really enjoying it um so i'm playing i'm playing that it's kind of nice like because what i what i do is i I write a lot, but then I can hop over to Thomas was alone for about 15 minutes, you know, and play like two or three levels and then be delighted until I get frustrated. And then I go back to writing, but it ends up being a nice change of pace for the brains. So that works out pretty well. Um, I also hadn't played uh, act one of broken age. So I caught up on that. And then, um, and then other than that, it's been a lot of uh, tabletop gaming. And then I think the next thing up in my queue is, uh, uh, the walking dead season two, uh, episode two and onwards, because I, I played episode, I played the first episode, but I haven't gotten a chance to continue yet. It's the, the latest episode is great. Yeah. 
not not to not to spoil anything, but it's it's, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Spoiler: Telltale does great work. (laughs) And man, I I, when I look at the Walking Dead games, I always feel like, wow, you know, maybe if we just taken all the action and systems out of Alpha Protocol, it would have made it a better game. And you just like choose the choose the dialogue options you want as you're going through the adventure. (laughs) It's it's funny because you say that because in in the episode, uh, one of the things that I I kept saying about this game, like I I really love Alpha Protocol, while recognizing all the things that you're talking about. Um, that kind of moment to moment disconnect, but, uh, it just, uh, I feel like it does the kind of, um, you know, the choices and, and dialogue tracking and everything so well. And that's just weighted for me in a, in a stronger sense than, than the kind of shooting and, and running feel and everything that's just more important to me when I play. So like I'll gravitate towards games like that, even, you know, or the walking dead, um, you know, because, uh, because they do this thing I care about very much, very well, even if they do this thing I care about less, not as well. If that yeah, makes I to- sense. I totally agree. Yeah. And I think uh, some of the strongest games that come out, oddly enough, are the ones that do one element very, very, very well, even if the rest of the game may not measure up in terms of mechanics. It's because that they have that one standout feature that excels. That's what really draws people to it and really sort of like gives it that game of the year feel where you're like, you know what? I feel like this title just basically deserves it for having that notable achievement of going beyond, you know, beyond the call of duty in this one respect and sort of showing, raising the quality bar for everybody else. And I think uh, the Telltale games definitely do that. Yeah. Going beyond Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and speaking to that, just just a little bit more. Something that we called out, just because the the, the Walking Dead comparison is it's it's hard not to make in a dialogue based game like that. Something that I'm just going to gush here for a second. But we arrived at was the idea that these decisions had they they did have tangible effects on the moment to moment. Um, in specific special instances, like, oh, if you're in good with Eck, he will just show up with a minigun on a rail car that he just happened to have lying around. Yep. You know, like cha- cha- changing that right there. So, you know, putting the actual systems in wasn't entirely for naught because that, 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 you know, the narrative had a hook in that in a way that felt tangible and felt rewarding beyond just how awesome it was to see it play out as you made those choices. Yeah, we did another pass of the uh, the initial framework, story framework for the game, and we tried to look for ways to take characters that we were used to after two years and try and put a different spin on the situation. So, for example, um, initially, uh, you couldn't really get Breko to your side. Mm-hmm. But in, in in the in the second version we're like, you know what? Breakos is a fun character. Like what if you could convince him that he'd been set up and and you gave him a chance to set things right? Like that could be kind of interesting. Or, you know, maybe instead of like having to track down and kill Surkoff, like maybe you can set it up so that you get him on your side as well. And then you can use that against the bad guy at the end and set up your, you know, an even better criminal network or like, you know, or screw up the one guy's predictions for how like, you know, the world, you know, nuclear war is going to start, et cetera. Like it just felt like there were so many opportunities like that where it was fun to take a detour off the, the beaten path of the, the sort of like more rigid storyline and look for a lot of more what if situations, which I think that ended up kind of being morale boosting for the team because they, they were able to sort of like breathe a little bit more. Yeah, it definitely shows. So, yeah, yeah. Well, all right. Does uh, do we have anything? Anything else we want to wrap up with? Um, other than uh, yeah, think, or go ahead, Ben. I do have one side comment. Uh, I moved to Vegas uh, about a year ago or so, and I really appreciate uh, Fallout New Vegas and the drive from Vegas to California, just from that game. It's uh, yeah, 
Those are really you know good. what, and 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 you are not the first person to say that. I think uh, one thing that uh, our project director for New Vegas to be commended for is he w- did sort of a motorcycle tour of much of the Southwest, and he ended up incorporating a lot of those common like landmarks, you know, like the roller coaster at Prim or you know the the you know, Helios One. Like when I drive to Vegas and I look over and see the solar array, I'm like, oh, look, it's Heli- Helios One, yay! <laughs> but yeah, seeing things like that just makes you go, oh. <laughs> yeah. At, at a serious moment in the um this, I know that you guys didn't work on this, but when playing Fallout Three and being in the, the subways at DC, yeah. like they have that they have that right down the, the way that looks. Yeah, weird and also, in, oh, go ahead. What one of the uh I guess most shocking quiet moments I had in Fallout Three was actually when I got to Arlington National Cemetery mm-hmm. and I actually just saw all the gravestones there and then it was against the backdrop of the post, you know, apocalyptic DC. That level hit me so hard just walking into it. I'm like, you have captured the real world so well, but then you've added a layer of how much more tragedy you could add to this scene just with the backdrop and then the aftermath of the war and just like that whole layout was just crushing. I'm like, but in a good way, like I was, it was very, I don't know. It did hit me really hard. Uh, So for my final question, this can be real quick. You can even just plead the fifth on it. The gelato shop. What gives? So that was a level that uh, was intended to be uh, a dialogue challenge and sort of create tension and uncertainty like, hey, guess what? Like I I am not sure if my code phrase is going to work. Something feels off. What do I do? Do I shoot this guy? And, you know, if I accidentally shoot shoot him and he's actually on my side, like, oh, my God. Like the idea was just create a, a, a dialogue stress situation. Now, as to why it's a gelato shop. That I cannot answer. That was part of the original storyline. Uh, and actually, I believe that we maintained a lot of the dialogue structure that had been written for it. And then we might have just, uh, we, then we just implemented it. So the actual mystery of the gelato shop, uh, I could not tell you except that it was a pretty odd location, but I still think mechanically it worked. So oh, I totally agree too. It just, it was such a nice, Change of pace, and there 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 are plenty of those that are uh, that, that that are shorter and uh, kind of non traditional that uh, that 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 vary it up in a way that is pretty satisfying. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, Chris, thank you very much again um, for taking the time to to talk to us. And well, hey, uh, thank you guys very much for inviting me. I, I appreciate it, and uh, it's been a long time since so I've had a chance to talk about Alpha Protocol. So, uh, no, it was, it was my pleasure. Yeah, the pleasure is all ours, and you may have some of the pleasure. Yeah. It's a pleasure <laughs> off, is it? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Th- thank you, Chris. Yes. All right. Appreciate thank it. you. Boy, that was a very fun and informative interview. I assume it was. I learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, actually, actually, I'm totally convinced it will be great. Yeah, no. Because we, we talked to Chris before, and he's a world-class sweetheart. Yeah. Um, very nice. Very, very, very nice man. I love that man. Um, yeah, but uh, other men I love include <laughs> the people who have uh, responded to Alpha Protocol. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get started here. Um, Cole, why don't you get started with Samuel? So Samuel says via contact, my first couple playthroughs were on a PC that just barely met the minimum specs. So I picked up the console version when I bought a PS3. The clerk at GameStop made sure to remind me of their return policy in a condescending manner toward Alpha Protocol. I made sure to never shop at GameStop again. Yes. <laughs> yes. Success. <laughs> Stick it to him. Yeah. Oh, man, that is the worst. 
<laughs> I saw that happen so many times, man. I, I'm just glad it doesn't say he doesn't say that GameStop. Mm-hmm. Like it just the game stops. You're dead to me. <laughs> Fuck you. There's that. Um, that reminds me. There's that really good story we got from Bond Fireside chat with our buddy Amy uh, Holbrook, mm-hmm. where the you know the GameStop clerk was like, "Are you sure you want to play this? You're a girl." Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then she know, beat just, it out of spite. Yeah. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Clerks. Like go to hell. Like, like, what, like why, why is anybody trying to scare anybody off of Dark Souls? Yeah. Fuck or you. any game. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if I want to play fucking. Rock and roll racing. Mm-hmm. Let me play rock and roll racing. Yeah, I'm here to buy this. Like, if you, <laughs> don't be a chime in motherfucker. Just like, just sell me the game. Listen, Ugh. I know that your job does not allow for any personal expression, mm-hmm. and that's why you're doing this. And you like video games, and that's why you took the job and didn't realize that taking the job <laughs> had nothing to do with liking video games. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. don't take that out on on poor Samuel here. Yeah, or no, poor don't, Amy. Don't do that. Ugh. You know, what? just say, say positive things. Say like, oh, you're going to have a good time with this. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Great. That's what you're there for. So Samuel continues, as far as the actual game is concerned, my favorite part is how replaying the game and making different choices can wildly change a number of scenes. During my angry hillbilly Mike Thornton game, uh, giant beard, giant shotgun, be unnecessarily hostile to everyone. That is the default playthrough, Mike. (laughs) Just want to underline that. Um, I got uh, both the scene where Mike kidnaps Madison in Rome and the one where where he breaks a bottle over Gregory's head. Uh, which are two of my favorite evil choice scenes in any RPG. Uh, more importantly, during my Archer game, be a suave jackass 24-7 and a pistol master, YOLO through every mission, <laughs> I finally managed to get every valuable, uh, variable right to piss off Marburg enough to get him to fight me to the death. Um, even after four or five completed games of Alpha Protocol, I still always look forward to the fight against Braco because of the inspired use of Autograph. Also, I still don't know if Stephen Heck is deep cover operative or a Dale Gribble-esque lunatic, which is why he is my handler of choice. He is like a Dale Gribble. Yeah. And yeah. I think that might be why I love him. Like, Dale yeah, Gribble's that's, great. <laughs> that's a good good comparison. Yeah. Also, the Archer comparison. Like, I totally played this game as, a, as the unofficial Archer, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, spin off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if it was more modelable, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Someone would actually oh, do an Archer game based on it. If they could have got uh, John Benjamin to do the voice, like I don't mm. much care for uh, for for Mike's voice actor. He kind of sounds a little bland, which might be necessary because of all the different permutations he can do, kind of like a mm-hmm. J.C. Denton esque thing. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, uh, having having John Benjamin would be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I understand the the versatility thing though, because uh, bon, John Benjamin wouldn't work for the professional right. or for. Right, and it all even sound weird being, uh, you know, aggressive or any, any number just, of things. Just every. <laughs> okay, so it's the regular guy for aggressive and professional, but you press suave and he just turns into John he just turns Benjamin. Into H. John Benjamin. <laughs> yep. Yep. I dig it. Um, <clears throat> so thank you, Samuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christopher says via contact I love this game. I only played it once, but now I want to go back to it. All the issues I had with it aside, and it wasn't too bad, back when I played it, did not distract me too much from loving it. A spy RPG? There's like zero others. Seriously, killer game. The only issues I had with it were it maybe crashed like twice on me. And well, I had a Deus Ex Human Revolution-like issue with some of the boss battles. Being a guy that typically likes to put all of his stats in things like speech and stealth, yeah, some of those boss battles. I can't remember their names, but my biggest issues were with the crazy dude that would snort coke off, snort coke in his rave mansion, <laughs> and then the dude that you, ha- uh, that you had to chase about and then eventually fight in the warehouse-ish place. Um, I did so bad in throwing some stats into blowing people away that I had to replay those battles a bunch of times. However, with a bit of practice and luck, I was able to get through them, and it was worth it. 
Made me feel good. Aside from that, uh, the spy story, the dialogue, and the whole system of trust slash untrust slash like and dislike, uh, the interesting locations, and the ability to choose which order to do them. And then there's Heck. Fucking lunatic. <laughs> uh, this game is like Vampire Bloodlines to me, except I think I like Alpha Protocol more. But it's one of those uh, that is amazing, that has a cult following, but was too buggy to get a major to get major success with good reviews. But after time, became perfectly playable. For some reason, people still think of it as a buggy, unplayable mess. It's not. It is a great game. Yeah. I had that thought too when I was reading those reviews mm-hmm. that maybe they like the version of Alpha Protocol I played was never actually a canonical, like original version mm-hmm. of it. You know, like maybe um, maybe they could have patched you know, it out. Yeah, they could have patched some things into it. Because, like, a lot of the things, I was just like, this is crazy. But maybe they made it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You know? So that, that is something I, I will uh, acquiesce to being possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that just kind of speaks to how broken console and PC games are now, where you can just ship a broken thing. And, like, yeah. that, that can really backfire in a bad way. Like, people still consider Fallout New Vegas to be unplayable. Like, yeah. Which in, is in certain crazy. quarters, which is, which is just a garbage opinion. But yeah. because that first round of reviews like sets the tone for a game for all of future humanity. Um, yeah. Like a bad launch can really just ruin a game. It's interesting the way that games are kind of changing in, in all ways to being, um, you know, like a never done kind of model, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's like the big thing with early access, like early access games are not done, right. you know, and there, there are kind of problems with that in general. Um, but, uh, the idea that a game can actually evolve, like you're, you know, there's this tension between like, you have to have something to review, mm-hmm. you know, but then also, um, you know, the thing is going to change. It's going to be an evolving work. Mm-hmm. You know, we even see that with uh, Dark Souls too, with like the uh, calibrations yeah. and stuff. Um, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that means I, what I would like is for reviewers. I mean, what I would like, I mean, I don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, mandate, but like, it makes more sense to me to try to get to more kind of core elements mm-hmm. of things as opposed to things that could very easily be patched out. Like you can still, you know, mention them. Mm-hmm. But you know, realize that like, oh, if this is something that is not a big deal, like this could probably change. That's yeah. something that I like from uh, from Polygon. Their review mm-hmm. their review policy is explicitly such that their reviews can be amended. So mm-hmm. they've, 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 there have been a few very uh, very uh, high profile games that they've gone back and uh, given higher or lower scores after patches. Um, just in terms of like, yeah, we understand that this is a living, breathing thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, like they, they, they keep a record of where stuff was and they say like what changed in, in any given time. But like that is, you know, kind of akin to like in my mind to any paper is only as good as it's, uh, as it's, um, corrections column. Yeah. You know, like that just seems like a smarter way to go about it as opposed to like, this is, this is print. It can never change. Therefore it's etched in stone forever. Right. Right, right, right. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Adam says via contact, uh, playing Alpha Protocol again for the show reminded me of just how much I enjoy this game, despite some glaring flaws. I was super excited for this game leading up to its release. A spy RPG developed by Obsidian and designed by Chris Avalone. Fallout 2 and Torment are my shit. They are also my shit. Um, <laughs> sign me <laughs> up. Uh, my initial impression of the game was fairly dim, however. The stealth and combat and the intro uh, medical center were lackluster. Stealth didn't seem to matter much, and most times the AI, the AI was so inaccurate you uh, just couldn't. Uh, you could just serpentine up to them and punch them out without breaking a sweat. And though that criticism didn't change much over the course of the game, I stuck with it, and I'm so glad that I did. The systems in place in this game were just fantastic. I loved the dialogue trees and truly bipolar way you could handle uh, conversations. I enjoyed switching between being a cocky jokester, matter-of-fact professional, and then to cold-blooded killer in a single conversation, giving NPCs whiplash. 
the play in our own order mission structure was another huge plus for me, as well as how the order affected the story and interactions with some characters. The combat became pretty trivial once I invested enough points in pistols to max out the ludicrously overpowered chain shot, but the combat was probably the weakest link in the game and thankfully never became an insurmountable hurdle. There even seemed to be a bug with the combat uh, where when you die and reload a checkpoint, enemies either disappear or tend to just stand in place and stare at the wall afterwards. Um, the twisty story was really the main draw and a mostly well-acted cast of characters you could interact with. Everything that uh, that occurred in the moments between fights really kept me hooked. I never uh, hooked. I never even minded the mini games, which is rare for me. When I finally finished my play, my first playthrough, uh, I immediately wanted to jump back in and play with a new personality style and do missions in a different order, uh, so I could see what I might have missed. Uh, definitely a diamond in the rough to my mind, and something I wish had a sequel. With a bitter refinement to the combat engine and some of the wonky menus and UI elements, maybe a different color uh, marker for side quests, uh, this could have been uh, an amazing series, easily toppling the similar uh, in style Mass Effect games. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, all of those but, kind of comport with my impressions. Yeah, 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 and gen- generally agree. Yeah. Glitches are when we just talked about this a little bit in the last response, but glitches are such a weird thing to be a huge complaint. Yeah. For me, like, they never bother me unless they are actually game-breaking. Like, I didn't see this one, but, like, when people talk about glitches in, you know, I didn't play Alpha Protocol right when it first came out. I did play all the 3D Fallouts right when they came out, and the glitches were never a big problem. Mm-hmm. Like, I noticed them, but how how immersed are you getting in this, like, <laughs> these, you know, fantasy worlds and something like that? And, like, I never feel like I'm not playing a video game in those things. Yeah. You know, something is trying to look – if it has people – that are trying to be realistic people, then I am not immersed. Yeah. You know, because it's it's too uncanny valley. So like somebody twitches a little bit, it's never gonna put me off a game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it just kind of seems, I don't know, like embrace the artifice, look at it, recognize, oh, this is a game. Programmers are human. This could have just this could have been ironed out in testing, but it didn't. I'm going to just Vaseline over that part of the lens and just get to the stuff that I like. It's such a, it's yeah. such a small moment, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, somebody's glitching in a corner, like it's so tiny, like, you know, I, I don't know. Like at the worst, <laughs> laugh at it. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's... yeah. Like the, the glitch thread on uh, something awful is great. Yeah. It's hilarious stuff on that. Like soccer games are so good mm-hmm. um, for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so finally about Alpha Protocol, uh, John Solnier uh, says via Facebook, this game would have been better if instead of being a secret agent man, you were just like a man, man, like <laughs> C was your girlfriend and heck was your friend and you go hang out and do fat lines with Breako, and then play his Dreamcast, or make beats with him on his TR-909, or go touring museums and look at vaguely homoerotic art with Marburg. <laughs> Discuss. Uh, he has a link here to the uh, autograph turn up the, the radio video. Uh, note this ubiquitous music trope. Despite being a predominantly synth-based song, the keyboardist is shown like once in the whole video, which is totally true. Mm-hmm. There are no star, like name like three famous keyboard players. The guy dance. from Yes. Rick Wakeman is that man's name. Thank you. But the, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but that's really it. Like, it's so hard to, uh, you know, I know a name of a couple keyboard players like Mike Garson and, uh, you know, but it, it's pretty rare. Um, that guy who was on, uh, did all the Pixies albums. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been, uh, Frank Black albums, but it's, it's pretty rare. And, uh, yeah, keyboardist is, uh, always in the background. Yeah. You know, it might just be that they don't like move a lot. Yeah, like and, this, and music videos, and you can see in this one too. I love it when keyboardists try to do that. Yeah, they try to get real, like, you know, get with it. Like I was in a band that 
where I played keyboard, I had to struggle with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, guy playing guitar got to go up into the audience and hold yeah. his guitar over his head, and I was just like, yeah, I'm stuck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> singer gets to put his foot up on the wedge, you know, like, yeah, come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, mm-hmm. music. So thank you yeah. everybody for writing about Alpha Protocol. If you have any responses about uh, about X Men Legends Two, um, that is you know either our Facebook page, facebook dot com slash Watch Out for Fireballs, or uh, duckfeed TV slash Contact. We will take all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, and we have a couple of little bits of follow up mm-hmm. from uh, from Killer Seven. Um, so <laughs> did anyone say this? Yeah, yeah. So this is this is from uh, from a user who only identified themselves as iHeartKiller7. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that just uh yeah, yeah, Squarespace just kind of fucked up the markdown there. So, whoops. <laughs> but yeah, okay. this is this is from uh, iHeartKiller7 who just wrote in. We were um heaping praise on uh Ulmeda and his performance, mm-hmm. just kind of how hammy that was, and uh pointed out that oh, that's Cam Clark says cam oh. clark is the voice of Olmeda. he's an amazing voice actor love liquid snake which totally makes sense that, totally, that does totally make sense yeah i i'm surprised i didn't pick up on that because cam clark will usually take me right the fuck out of a game yeah. like, like when i hear cam clark <laughs> like i just can only hear michelangelo mm-hmm. that can, can you so. name anything else that he's done or i think he's mike isn't he michelangelo maybe he's got the same let me double check that <laughs> real quick he's got the same like oh, i'm i'm michelangelo like he does that snake you're not gonna I guess that's not real. <laughs> yeah, like he sounds more like a uh, Thurston Hell the Third. He is he is Michelangelo, <laughs> and yeah, he, uh, he's and in uh, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, the uh, yeah, but he, I usually can hear him. So he was uh, Anthony in, uh, in Eternal Darkness. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And Pile Driver in Marvel's Avengers Assemble. Yeah. That that's sad that he had to be like one of the wrecking crew. <laughs> wrecking crew. <laughs> oh, and he was old Meta uh, in Killer Seven. Yeah, that's hey, that's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, I know. He's I like that. Back. <laughs> like that scene uh, back. <laughs> Final Fantasy 13 2 additional voices <laughs> keep shining on you crazy diamond yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, thanks Cam uh, do you want me to take us way back uh, take us to the way back yeah taking us way back so Take uh, uh, somebody who participates mostly in uh, Bonfire Side Chat but he's uh, listening to our back episodes here a long long time ago back when you were at your old apartment you were talking about uh, these kids who would play this weird ball and stick game Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he says, ball team. <laughs> yeah, he says, I don't know if you guys got the answer on the query for this, but in extra episode number 46, Gary goes on a hilarious rant about a cup and ball that has a stick at the top. Uh, might have uh, been th- that might have been a kendama Japanese for sword plus ball. I've never seen anyone in America own one. I have one because I bought it while on vacation in Japan. Uh, it's pretty funny because the pretentious intellectual kids on Japanese programs always have these things. Just as Holmes would ponder with a pipe in his mouth, these kids will silently mull over a problem <laughs> while playing with their kendama before in, before announcing the solution to their problem. That, that That's exactly what it was. I looked at this when I first the note came up. Those, those kids were a little kendama enthusiast. Yeah. And the idea of this being like something that that smart people do when they're mauling over a problem uh-huh. rather than these, these, un, this thing, these undergrads do before smoking <laughs> their weight in weed and failing out of college, yeah. um, you know, or, or getting straight B minuses in their communications classes, um, <laughs> is, is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, man, that, 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 like way, way to pull something up from a, from an old episode. Yeah. The, I can't remember. I, and I don't remember exactly what I said during that, but like, <laughs> I remember talking about Cole. The guy who went up behind the girl and showed her how to do it. Oh yeah, like that this, is like so the super creepy. Funny, yeah. Like, <laughs> just like, let me show you that kendama, baby. And then, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, 
like like in, like in movies, like oh, let, let me teach you how to putt, so I can yeah. like sidle up behind you. Yeah, Ugh. but yeah, but condoming them. <laughs> that's crazy. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. They're, yeah, it's it's crazy that you've or it's not crazy, but you've never seen them. I've seen them frequently. Mm-hmm. It is it is a Portland thing. Like not frequently, <laughs> like once a day, but like once every two weeks. I say I see one on the on the max. It's just somebody can domin up. It's such a weird affectation. Like I like so, okay. So so for the purposes of like the Japanese kids, like it's important to have something to do with your hands, right? Like for me, it helps me to like do things. Like I'm playing with a pen right now. Sure. When I'm at work, I have a slinky that like when I'm trying to work through some kind of problem, I play with my slinky. Mm-hmm. But like the idea of just doing this crazy stunt ball and cup. Ugh. I yeah. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> Like I, I don't like it doesn't look that fun to me, and also it requ- looks like it would require too much concentration to be something you could just do. Like get some yeah. silly play teens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. So that's follow up. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As, as we had as we said last episode and a little bit earlier in this episode, up next is uh, X Men Legends Two: The Rise of Apocalypse. Uh, looking forward to that. That's like PlayStation, Xbox, GameCube. Um, you know. Yeah. Yes. Do check it out. Or, uh, era action rpg mm-hmm. um yeah after that we're doing crackdown mm-hmm. we're going from xbox to the xbox 360 <laughs> and uh, uh yeah and after that is uh gabriel knight 2 yep mm-hmm. so, uh blood of the fathers the blood of the fathers there we go we, we you've I, seen the sins now see the blood i actually don't think it's blood of the fathers i'm I don't just think making a joke it's, yeah it's like wolves of the <laughs> it's like wolves of, of the kaya of, yeah. the, of, the, of, the, of the night of the night wolf yeah. Um, give on night two wolves of the night wolf. Yeah, wolf. Um, the dusty wolf. Yeah, d- dusty wolves of the dusty night. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're looking forward to all that. And uh, we've been recording for a very long time. Yeah. So uh, you know all the things to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you again to Chris yeah. um, for, for doing this for us and, and joining us and stuff. I admire that man quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, I, he's a very busy, really busy fellow. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And until next time, watch out for your ass falling asleep from sitting down for so long. Yep, exactly. Watch out for three minutes, three hours and 40 minutes of staring at a screen. <laughs> Umbasa. Umbasa. Hello. Hey there. Hello. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, Chris. Hello, Gary. How's it going? How are you? Uh, I am doing pretty good. Thank you very much for those questions. Oh, no problem. Thank you very much for being willing to answer them. Oh, no problem at all. Thank you more. <laughs> it's it's a think off, is it? Yes. Can you guys uh, hear me okay? Okay. Um, you know, a bad day to be on the internet, but bad doing okay. Bad day to be on the internet. Um. Yeah, you'd like the news. Oh, the. Oh, the shooting? Yeah. I only got, like, I, I found out about it from the Something Awful thread, the awkward, ugly, and gross. I saw the video the guy posted before he did it, but... Yeah. Yeah. It was a rough watch. And I, and... I, like, I saw, okay, so here's the weird thing. I saw the video before he did it. Oh, whoa. Yeah. So That's people were like, crazy. hey, check out this nice guy. And people were linking all of his stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's a, that's unsettling. And then 
like there was like a little rumbling and I didn't like I, I was doing a little bit of pre-production for those damn Ross kids. We're recording that a little bit, little bit later. I saw College Town Mass Murder. I guess I haven't been inundated with it. So I don't know like how many people died. I don't, all, all I know is like it was a drive by like is there like what are the what are the salient details? Uh, I think it's um, seven dead, seven wounded. Jesus. Um, and just, uh, you know, it's it's bringing the conversation up. Not how it's actually, you know, it's funny. Like men's rights assholes are funny. It's also like a really, really harmful incubator for yeah. violence and there was and a uh, there was a again on that same thread, the awkward, ugly, gross thread. Uh, there's a screen cap of like right below, like so. It's his video, you know, him talking, and then right underneath it, there is a uh, a comment from an account that belongs to like a like a dating service that says something along the lines of let me actually pull pull it up it should be right near the top um that says something along the lines of let's get this here um strategic dating coach this is the reason we do what we do to prevent this shit couldn't oh. couldn't experience it because he didn't learn to attract women. He should have gone to our website and got personal dating coaching or purchased one of our products. If anyone else needs help, contact us. Don't do anything stupid. <laughs> you want to puke? Yep. That, that's so fucking disgusting. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is just it's just a gross uh, gross day to to be a dude and you know just uh well it's nasty. Yeah. 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 So, and I, I've, I've been trying to get off, you know, off the internet, but I, it's my reflex whenever I just have like, you know, 20 seconds to kill. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's good. Uh, my, my, you know, my Twitter feed is hard to read right now. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I just kind of stopped reading Twitter. <laughs> like, yeah, it's more, it's, it's become like Facebook for me where like I, I see anything that involves me and that's about mm-hmm. it. And like, I know that that is probably harmful, but I just, yeah. Yeah. And it's not, it's not necessarily harmful. Yeah. It's uh, probably in some ways, you know, it's not a great use of time. Yeah. In but some I, ways. I mean, you in know, other ways, it's a like, wonderful use of time. I, no, I was, I'm, you know, I was thinking, you know, I was reflecting on this a couple days ago that Google reader shutting down on one, on one hand, it was terrible because that was a fantastic service, but like the diaspora that that caused kind of led me to like, not really read, like have RSS feeds anymore. That's kind mm-hmm. of like, I thought, man, how much time did I spend reading RSS feeds? Like, and I got value out of it, but you know, I, I was in the process of calling that down anyway. And now that's just not a part of my life anymore. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's kind right, of, right, right. yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Time and attention. Yeah. Time and attention. But yeah, that is a, I don't, I don't look forward to seeing what that drags up. Um, yeah. It's just going to be a, it's going to be a rough, you know, couple of weeks for the discourse. Like in I, some ways, you know, it is, I like, you know, I think it is healthy that the connection behind, you know, that attitude and, and actual effects is a good thing to have yeah. underlined. Like obviously not a good thing that happened, but you know, it's not trivial. Like it, it is a harmful mindset, mm-hmm. you know, and that's in, in a very incredibly real way. And yeah. that's, that's, that's good. But it's like that, you know, amazing atheist asshole on YouTube is going to have some kind of just like, it's going to yeah. pop up. Cause I watched that one video. It's going to show up in my feed, mm-hmm. a YouTube feed. And I, I'm not going to watch it cause it's going to, 
you know, turn me into the Hulk. <laughs> but it's just like, geez, what's that fucking monster going to have to say about this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now it's mental health facilities. We fucking need them. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's it's that, and then also, but it's interesting, like reading the the stuff on Twitter because it's not chucking up to a mental health issue is one thing, but it's mm-hmm. also kind of you know there is a lot of kind of a like the, the feminist angle to it, like the idea of like writing it off as one crazy guy as opposed to being mm-hmm. you know part of a larger culture and idea mm-hmm. is 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 a thing too. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not saying you're doing that, but yeah. it's, it's obvious that, you know, you don't kill people and, and not have something wrong with you, but mm-hmm. also he was in a incubation kind of situation that encouraged a lot of unhealthy. Yeah. That, thinking like, in the first place he was, he, he, he had a natural bent and this kept him bending further in that direction. Yeah. 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 And just internet cheerleaders, you know, and like <sighs> just saying like, Hey, it's okay for you. You know, this is, this is the way it should be. You yeah. know, I don't know. It's so it's it's okay for you to buy into our, you know, form of casual institutionalized psychopathy. Yeah. 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 Welcome. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Welcome. Um Ugh. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just gross. Just feeling mm-hmm. gross about it. And we got this stupid water boil going on, so I'm all dehydrated and cranky because the water tastes gross when it's been boiled for some reason. I don't know why. You have a like the, was there a water main break or uh no, we got so many coli going on in Portland. Yeah, uh, starting like, yesterday, there was like a water boil order for the city. Yuck. And then, of course, because um, and it's, it's actually good. Like I want to go buy some bottled water. But uh, mm-hmm. Portland, I, one thing I've noticed is that the, they react very strongly to impending disaster. Like we'll get a little bit of snow and then all the, the snow tire chains will sell out at the, yeah. the store. And uh, I got home at like or went to the grocery store at like six. And uh, the, you know, the grocery store was sold out of water in <laughs> any form. So I bought a Sobe Life water and yeah, and left. <laughs> Sold out of actual water, but we can get flavored water. It's yeah, cool. all I could get was Sobe. Yeah. So I've got I've got like a you know some boiled water and mm-hmm. everything. It just tastes gross. Yeah, and no, it's just drink it like medicine. Mm. Huh. Oh. That sucks. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Washing dishes is a pain. Brushing your teeth is a pain. It's yeah. only been going on for a day. So yeah. hopefully it'll go away soon. Is there a, like do they have like a projected like hey this will be fixed date or um, I don't think so. I haven't checked it in a little while. Mm. Um, but the uh, yeah, usually I think this is. I feel like I've been in a city where this has happened before, and it's been like a day. Yeah, because we'll have that. We'll have like a water. Oh, here break, we go. But... So, yeah, water notice ends. It's over. Oh, cool. It ended at eleven o'clock. Um, sweet tap water is safe to drink. <laughs> Problem solved. Thanks, guys. <laughs> oh wait, is, it, is that my is my county included in that? Um, Burling, Burlington, Gresham. Yeah, I can't like. Why is my my county not included in that? But it doesn't like. It feels like my county is the biggest county in the area. It feels like they would say like, no, this does not include Multnomah County. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'll just yolo it. <laughs> I, I mean, you kill them, but try not to die. Colo, colo. Just, just try not to die. I guess. Yeah, I just had to. I just had to flush the taps. Yeah, it looks like it looks like it's fine. Okay, sweet. All right, cool. I went and saw Days of Future Past last night. Me, me too. Oh, yeah. I went and saw my first movie alone, like ever. Oh yeah, X Men. God, it's yeah, great but, going to movies alone. 
Yeah. What'd you think? <laughs> um, I liked it. I mean, I met my expectations. I thought it was a little bit dumb how much exposition there was, but like once it got rolling, it was fine. It was, um, yeah, I, I think so. I think it's, um, mildly poorly written. Yeah. Like there are, there are some lines that I think are really, really heavy handed that happen a lot. Yeah. You know, about hope and about, uh, faith and everything like that. Like characters deliver some real, yeah, some real, some real some inspirational real, shit, some real goofy stuff like that. Yeah. And then, you know, not as much emphasis on kind of like small details. Like the characterization was very broad, it felt like. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, a lot of really cool set pieces. I, you know, cool, like, cool I, th- I think that the Quicksilver scene is kind of going to go down as like uh, a high water mark for the franchise. Honestly. It's like the, the Nightcrawler scene from X Men 2. Yeah, yeah. Like how that's so fun to watch. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's really, really good. Yeah. Um, and I like how the, all the movies are, are justified now. Yeah. And, and, being and, part how, of the same and how they wrote out, um, the Wolverine and, uh, the last stand. Um, yeah, kinda. Yeah. They, they just <laughs> retconned it straight up yeah. like a comic, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, which, that didn't happen, which is great because those are pretty bad. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was really good. I, I liked yeah. it. Yeah. It was a good time. Yeah. So yeah, fun, fun, uh, fun times had, mm-hmm. I'm going to go see Captain America tonight, oh, I think, okay. which is supposed to be really great. Yeah, I have the, not. Uh, I have not seen any of the Captain America movies. Yeah, the first one's not very good. The second one's supposed to be like appro- you know approaching Avengers good. Like it's supposed oh. to be like probably the best of the post uh, post Avengers Marvel movies. That is a that is a high compliment. Yeah, according to reviews and everything, I have not seen it. Yeah. But, um, Man, yeah, I liked yeah. uh, I liked young Xavier. Like aside from the corny stuff, like that was a that was I felt like he was a good character. Yeah, he's a, he's a, yeah he was a, he was a good actor. Like the yeah. there's a couple parts. It's so funny though because like. I was trying to see what they were going for. There were moments where me and not just me, but like a whole theater of people who are not as cynical as I were, was, uh, am, were laughing out loud at things I don't think were intended to be funny. Right. Like when he starts, you know, shooting up this thing and he's doing exactly like heroin. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I laugh and, and a lot of people in the theater laughed and it, the music is very dramatic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then, uh, when they, they reveal that, uh, the Kennedy was a mutant. <laughs> like the the theater laughs, you know, and yeah. the, but it's supposed I feel, to be very I feel like serious. that was like, I feel like that was that that like I thought that was meant to be funny. <laughs> the like all the the movie like the framing and the music underscoring it and stuff mm-hmm. like if so it's very subtle on yeah. behalf of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, it's weird. That Quicksilver scene was really good. I would have liked to have seen more of him. Yeah, like, it, uh, it felt like they got him out of there like so he wouldn't ruin the plot. Like, and well, that, that's, that's something that they have to do a lot is like, this mutant needs to go away because his powers would totally solve all of these problems. Well, the, the other issue is they are under all kinds of crazy contractual obligations as to what they can talk about with him because he's going to appear, um, in Avengers too as well. Oh yeah. 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 So the, um, he, you know, if, like they couldn't refer to him as a mutant in either movie. Mm-hmm. I think they can only, you know, they say like one of us in the, yeah. in this movie and they can't say like, they couldn't say his last name. There are all well, these kind of things. There's the about, joke, like, oh, my mom knew a guy like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. But they can't, they can sit, make that implication in X-Men, but cannot make the implication in Avengers 2. God, that's fascinating to me. The yeah, way, it's The way real. that that, like, legal thing affects the plot of all this. Yeah. It's really frustrating mm-hmm. because it would be, you know, like, a shared universe is, is, is better. Like, I would, I would rather have all this kind of stuff meld together. Yeah. You know, if the uh now that Fox Marvel has kind of pulled their head out of their ass with the last couple X Men movies and they've been pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and starting to approach the uh the Marvel Studios quality of movies. Like I would like yeah. to see them integrate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like they do in the comics. Yeah. And then the you know, post credits thing I was pretty into. 
Like I, I like that twist on that. I want, I'm interested to see where that goes. Did we like? So did we time this? I mean, you're you're the one no. who suggested. Okay, cool. So because I, I was thinking about like, okay, cool, apocalypse. Wait a minute, I'm playing a game with apocalypse. Yeah, and they, they're doing a very um, age. Even the uh, Days of the Future Past uh, future stuff had like Blink is an Age of Apocalypse character. Yeah, she's not a Days of the Future Past character. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so it's just kind of yeah, kind of interesting to see that. Mm-hmm. No, have, have you started playing X Men? Yeah. Uh, uh, no, not yet. I, I, I've started playing it. It is uh, uh, two things. So one, um, the uh, it, it is very it's very dumb, like fun, mm-hmm. but super dumb. And some of the, like some of the shittiest writing in a game that we've played, I think, like it's sloppy. Yeah. Um, and I didn't notice it at the time I played it the first time. Mm-hmm. So you just have to kind of turn off your brain and just go. I'm good and with that. it's really good. Yeah. Um, like it's it's is very fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm having. I'm actually like after these past couple, I'm I'm looking forward to kind of like a less intense, like paying attention to this and taking notes yep. experience. You know, this this so. is a very good podcast game. Yeah, um, and it and it is also like this and Crackdown between the two. Like we are going to give our brains a nice vacation. Yeah, which is which is a good a good mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, oh, and then just real quick, I know we don't have all the time in the world. Did you uh, did you happen to pick up Transistor? Uh, no, no, I didn't. Oh, you got to play Transistor, dude. I, I know, I know, man. <laughs> I've got like no time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I, it's super short, so I'll, I'll lay that fear. I know that no time is still it does not equal to some time, mm-hmm. but um, the, yeah, it's it's really really good. Yeah, I'm jazzed about it. I, I, you know, I'm thinking that by the time I will like have the chance to sit down and like invest time in it, because like on top of my list right now is like Walking Dead episode three and Kentucky Route Zero episode three like i've got a bunch of stuff in front of it. i'm hoping that by the time i sit down to do it it's gonna like just be on sale or something like that yeah so i can justify like okay here here i go right now but like if i bought it now i probably wouldn't play it for like a month and a half <laughs> so. yeah it's it's okay to wait to like i think that you know to get the full story you have to play it a couple times yeah but it really is 20 bucks for like i don't know four and a half hours like it's very short and we, you know that dollar to hour ratio thing is dumb but yeah, dumb. i was surprised by how short it was yeah i mean i i'm not if, yeah, it's I'm past the point where thinking about like I don't I don't like money doesn't factor into my purchasing decisions on stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So so like that like that that doesn't bother me like pay like pay money like waiting for it on sale. It's more for just kind of like oh I can I, I can just tell myself I feel good about getting this now from a time standpoint. Like of course I bought it even though I didn't have plans to play it because I got it on sale. That's right, the thing. right, right. Yeah. I also I just kind of wish there was more of it. Mm-hmm. More than more than anything, like it wasn't like I felt like I wasn't getting my money's worth. I just could have, like, it could have used a little bit more room to breathe, mm-hmm. and I would have been, you know, I was enjoying it at the time I stopped. Like, I could have, I felt like they could have done more with it a little yeah. bit, yeah. or like I, you know, there were uh, gameplay concepts I would have liked to have seen explored in this world. Yeah, that weren't. I'm excited about um, it aesthetically. It looks fucking beautiful. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. It's so good. Like that that is like that team has like the best production values right now. <laughs> like it seems like because between the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like everything together, like the animation and the art, and then just kind of the style between that and Bastion. Is the is the music uh, is it the same composer as Bastion? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, but different, uh, real different take. Yeah. So yeah. still lots of guitars, but not uh, not that kind of like folksy mm-hmm. thing. I'm down. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I did not. Ex- I was not expecting to have finished it by the time we recorded, but yeah. woke up a little bit early and I was like, <laughs> oh, I only had an hour and. 10 minutes left. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah.